Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Insert Edition of Local Folks Podcast. My name is Bob Madar, and this program is going to be kind of a personal rumination on how the science-based origin story of our universe helps me to understand my place in the cosmos and informs a secular moral code I live by. I'm going to start this episode with a tale from my childhood. I grew up in San Francisco, and um, my mother was very active in the Methodist Church, quite devout, and so because she went to church, I went to church. And I did it all. I went to Sunday service, I went to Sunday school, went to church camps. And as I kind of grew older, um, you know, like 13 or 14, I began to have some pretty serious doubts. I can remember sitting in the pew um, uh, on a given Sunday and listening to the preacher up in the pulpit and just kind of going, yeah, it just doesn't really ring true to me. It just seems like a bunch of hogwash, really. And that was very difficult. Um, and I can remember there's one Saturday um, sitting around the kitchen table with my mom and my dad. And uh, mom kind of looked at me and she said, you know, Bob, you know, I just think you have some doubts about church and it doesn't seem like it's really something you want to do. And I've decided at this point, if you don't want to go, I'm not going to ask you to go. And I said, oh, OK, I'm not going. And I, <laughs> I don't think that was the answer mom wanted to hear at the time. And but being who she was, this amazing woman, she said, OK, you know, you don't have to go. And. After that, um, I didn't, other than an occasional wedding and one funeral and a time that I got roped into playing trumpet in a quartet for Easter Sunday services of a friend, a friend's church, I haven't been inside a church since because I'm an atheist. And it's an interesting thing. I've had conversations with people who are, you know, religious in one religious tradition or another, and they're always kind of asking me the question, how is it possible for you as an atheist with no you know, religious, you know, uh, leanings whatsoever. How's it possible for you to, to have a moral code? How do you live morally if you don't have some religious tradition informing your morality? And you know, I, for years, I didn't really address that too much. I was like, well, I don't know. I'm just a local guy living a moral life. And, but gradually over time, I began to think about it. How is it that I have a moral, moral code and where does that come from? And what I'd like to do now is to spend the rest of this podcast episode sort of talking about my thinking in that regard. And you may ask yourselves at this point, well, why are you bothering to tell us about this? And here's my rationale. I'm just a local guy. You know, I live in a small town in Western Oregon. I'm you know, not a philosopher or anything like that. I'm just a local person trying to make it through life. But I think maybe it might be helpful to hear from somebody like me. So here we go. I'm going to try to explain to you in less than 20 minutes what it is about science and the scientific view of the world and our place in it that gives me such comfort and at the same time informs my moral choices. The first thing that science tells me about my place in the universe is you aren't that special. Why do I say that? Well, my body's made up of molecules, uh, proteins, fats, carbohydrates, hormones, DNA, etc. 
And except for the hydrogen, all of the elements that make up those molecules, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, magnesium, etc., were originally created in the nuclear reactions in the core of a very large star that at the end of its life exploded in a supernova and injected all those elements into space. Somehow, over time, and given that the universe is some 14 billion years old or so, um, that could be a fairly long time, some of those elements created in the star coalesced into the Earth about 4.5 billion years ago. And with the advent of life, those elements started cycling through living things. And after a fairly long time, some of those elements comprise the molecules in my body that make me. But that is just part of the story. Because if the current understanding of the Earth is correct, living things first appeared some 3 billion years ago. And given the observation that except for those original organisms, all life comes from pre-existing life, then I have a lot of ancestors. And since each generation is the result of some kind of reproductive event in which sex cells from the previous generation combine, and which cells successfully find each other and join together is most likely just a matter of chance, then I'm the product of billions of chance events. Couple that with the notion that any one of those events could have created a different outcome and a different lineage, well, my existence is just the luck of the draw, so to speak. Nothing special, nothing foreordained, just a random occurrence signifying nothing. In addition to you aren't that special, science tells me that you may think you're an individual entity, separate from the rest of life, but you're not. It turns out that I'm kind of a temporary residence for all of those elements created in stars. My body's constantly replacing itself, and it uses elements taken in from the environment in the form of food as building materials. The rate at which elements in my body are replaced varies, and there's some debate at just how fast the atoms come and go. But there is no question that the atoms of the elements that make me today are not the same atoms that made me yesterday, last week, last month, a year ago. I'm constantly voiding atoms into and taking atoms up from the environment. And it is highly likely that some of the atoms that my body is busily incorporating into my skin, eyes, liver, and all my other organs were, at some time in the past, part of another organism. Maybe a plant? Insect? Fungus? Or maybe another human being like me? In some ways, I'm kind of like a little wavelet on the surface of a lake, apparently separate, but actually intimately connected to all the other ways by the deep body of water I come from. I think the third thing that science tells me is expect variation, not uniformity. I think I can safely say that without variation, life as we know it would not exist on our planet. Genetic variation is the stuff of evolution, and without that variation, natural selection would have nothing to act on, and life would not be able to change in response to changing conditions. And just for a moment, let's consider a randomly selected group of a hundred fellow members of our species. 
I would submit that that randomly selected group would show all kinds of variation. Uh, physically, tons of variation from height to skin color to eye color to body type to, well, yeah, I don't know, just about anything you can name. Now let's up the complexity of the characteristics a little bit and start thinking about things other than eye color and height. Things like personality, learning style, sexual orientation, um, what kind of foods work for your particular metabolism, etc. These things are probably involve a lot more genes than eye color. And all those genes, those individual genes, they can and do vary um, between individuals. So that means that there's a lot of genetic variability in these more complex characteristics. And if you toss in other factors, such as the effects of the environment, uh, the effects of upbringing, etc., I would suggest that there's just a lot of variation out there and people are really different. And that's an important thing to keep in mind, I think. And finally, science tells me, like all living things, I'm going to die. And when that happens, my precious body is ultimately going to decompose into its constituent elements. And over time, many of those elements, the carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, will be incorporated into other living things. Eh, who knows? Maybe someday far in the future, one of my distant relatives uh, might eat an apple. And one of the sugar molecules from that apple that tastes so sweet contains carbon atoms that were once part of me. Could happen. So, the universe is ancient, I'm not special, I'm connected to everything, variation is more common than uniformity, and the only thing I have to look forward to when I die is being recycled? How do those observations lead to ideas about who I am and what is important in life? Well, let's start with the notion that there's nothing all that special about me. I mean, it's pretty cool that I'm essentially made from stardust, but then again, so is everything else. And given billions of times my ancestors, and when I say answers is I mean all the living things in my family tree from primitive bacteria all the way to my mom and dad, uh, reproduced, along with the fact that the outcome of each reproductive event is essentially unpredictable, then my being here is an exceedingly unlikely event. I'm no more or less important or unique than a fungus rotting a log or a dung beetle rolling up a big old pile of poop to lay an egg on. I'm just another carbon-based life form winking into existence for a very brief period and then winking out after my short time on the planet is done. For me, that is a very humbling and liberating idea. If I'm no more important or significant than a bacterium, dung beetle, or any other life form, then it makes sense for me to value all life, from mosquitoes and ticks to beautiful fragrant flowers to bacteria. I mean, you know, we're really all equal and in this together.
Not only is my existence the result of a series of very unlikely events, I'm completely and intimately connected to all life. I'm constantly exchanging material with the environment and other living things. We're interdependent. Anything I do has effects both on life and the environment, and vice versa. To try and separate me from everything else is impossible. So, if we're all in this together and intimately connected, then I need to think about how my actions impact all life and the earth and live my life accordingly. If variation is necessary for life to continue to evolve, then I guess I need to accept and appreciate diversity. I mean, no diversity, no me. The observation that people look, think, believe, and speak differently from me is a fact of life and one that I celebrate. There are lots of ways to be human. And just because one modality is more common than another doesn't mean that it's a better way to be or that it's normal or that we should all live that way. Instead of fearing difference, I value it and respect a person's right to live according to who they are, rather than who I think they should be. I believe in evidence. I believe in observation, measurement, and reasoning confirmed by independent observers. I'll believe anything, no matter how wild and ridiculous, if there's evidence for it. The wilder and more ridiculous something is, however, the firmer and more solid the evidence will have to be. That is a quote from one of my favorite authors, Isaac Asimov, and it pretty much explains why the scientific description of the nature of the universe and my place in it holds such power for me. I, too, believe in evidence derived from observation, measurement, and reasoning that is confirmed by independent observers. And there sure does seem to be a mountain of evidence from physics, astronomy, geology, chemistry, and biology, all derived from work of countless scientists, that strongly supports the current scientific model of the universe. I can't say the same for origin stories from religious traditions. Certainly not what I heard all those years ago while sitting in a church pew, that story about the origin and nature of the universe, from what I understand, is essentially based on myth and a whole host of wild, and in my mind, very unlikely ideas and occurrences like virgin birth, resurrection, and life after death. I have seen no credible evidence to support any of these exceedingly unlikely assertions. And until I do, and it will have to be quite a bit of evidence, I consider religious truth to be not true at all just stories based on someone's fertile imagination and a rather shaky foundation on which to build a moral code to guide me as I seek to live a full and meaningful life. And there's one other difference between science and religious traditions. The scientific story of the universe is constantly changing as new information comes to light. While religious stories are static, and often are based on original texts that were written well before the advent of modern science. From what I have seen, devotees of many religious traditions are not particularly open-minded when it comes to changing the story. You can get kicked out of a congregation or worse for doing just that. I bring this up 
because I'm quite sure that the scientific story about our universe will continue to change, and any moral code based on science will have to change with it. No stasis allowed. I think my moral code can be distilled into the following. I'm made out of the same stuff as the rest of the universe and intimately connected to it. I am no more or less important than any other living thing. And because we're all related and share the earth, I consider all life as something to be treasured and respected. Death is a natural process and not something to be feared. And the ultimate outcome of dying is to be recycled and incorporated into new life. Difference is normal and to be expected and celebrated. And there is no correct way to think, learn, love, etc. And my thinking about these matters is always subject to change and revision as new knowledge and understanding come to light. And this synthesis may not work for everyone, but it does seem to be a rather good fit for this whole local guy. If you'd like to read a very lucid discussion of the science-based origin story, I strongly recommend Origin Story, A Big History of Everything by David Christian. I found his book to be extremely interesting and really helpful. I'd like to thank you for listening, and as you may have already noticed, these programs for the insert edition have been kind of a mixed bag, so to speak. Costa Rica, Mickey, now, me. That's because over the past several months, I've been working on a project that focuses on a group of local folks providing needed services to people who are homeless in my little city of Corvallis, and I plan on launching the introductory episode um, on October 1st. Homelessness is a very complex and controversial problem in my hometown, and there are a wide range of ideas and passionately held opinions on how to approach the issue. I'm going to focus on one group's efforts to help and what they've learned about the homeless and themselves as a result of their work. And finally, all of the tunes used in this episode were performed and recorded in Dave Storr's studio here in Corvallis. So I'd like to say thank you to Nick Rivard, Hezekiah, Dave Chiller, Dave Stores, and all the rest of the musicians who dropped by to play music in Dave's studio. Thank you very, very much. KBOO Portland. 105.5 